Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Warren Kruger, CEO of Greystone Logistics. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is GLGI on the OTCQB. Greystone Logistics is focused on the fast-growing plastic segment of the $9.5 billion pallet industry with its manufacturing facility located in Bettendorf, Iowa, and its executive offices located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, for those who are wondering what a pallet is, Those are the flat wooden structures that heavy goods are put on so that they can be moved using a forklift truck. Actually, one of the key differentiators for Greystone Logistics is that they manufacture recycled plastic pallets versus those traditional wooden pallets that you for sure have seen at your local Costco. While some folks might see the pallet industry as a sexy business, I think it's safe to say that most folks in our investing world would lovingly refer to Greystone as a classic boring company. Some of my favorite interviews are with classic boring companies because I get to learn more about a topic that I never thought I would. And that's why I invited on Warren to share more about Greystone Logistics and how Greystone's pallets are differentiated and unique compared to wood pallets and other plastic pallet manufacturers. Warren has been with the company for 10 plus years and how the company has evolved during his time there. Their strategy for attacking the plastic segment of the $9.5 billion pallet industry and post-COVID, supply chain issues, and whether this has been a tailwind for Greystone Logistics. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Warren Kruger, CEO of Greystone Logistics. Warren, thank you for joining me here today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. So, I, listen, I've been familiar with the name for a while. You know, I, I know a few folks, you know, fellow colleagues that have been following the name or talked about the name for, I think, 
10 plus years now. Um, you know, we recently got uh, reacquainted after uh, uh, you just recently hired a new IR firm or, or, or Brendan Hopkins, who's a, who's a good friend. And so, you know, I'm just excited to kind of learn a little bit more about what you got going on here at Greystone and just catch people up on where the company is at currently today. So just, I say all this to start off. My first question I'd like to ask you here is can, for those that don't know the story or, or still kind of, you know, wrapping their head around it. How would you describe Greystone Logistics in one line? Greystone Logistics manufactures 100% recycled plastic shipping pallets for a broad range of industries. Very good. That is a beautiful one line. It's almost like you had the questions ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> he did, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ward, so so with that, let's let's take a look back at Greystone Logistics history. You know, when was the company founded, and what was the original thesis for its founding? Well, it's it's. It convoluted somewhat. Uh, I I was an investor originally back uh, 20 years ago, and I invested in a small public shell that really had no revenue that was a research and development firm. It was a public shell that had been around since 1968. It was a marine paint manufacturing th- uh, company, and they did uh, they did oil and gas equipment, and just it, it just never it just never got any traction along the way. And so the, the shell, when I got started investing, uh, really had no revenue and they were working on equipment to manufacture plastic pallets. And that's, that's how I got involved. And I started off, uh, uh, put a, a small amount of money in and all of a sudden it was a large amount of money. I started off with uh, a million, then went to 3.7 and pretty soon 4.5 and, then the next thing I know, I'm running the company. And uh, so the first year we had, uh, we were producing some pallets. We had $600,000 in revenue. That's about uh, 20 years ago. And uh, we then, uh, uh, the Miller Brewing pallet was out there in the marketplace. And pallets are, it's a crazy thing. There's 2 billion pallets in the system in the United States working every single day. And six to 800 million pallets go in the system. Most of those are wood, and this plastic idea of plastic pallets has been around a long time. But we bought the uh, Miller Brewing uh, uh, pallet is what we bought. We bought a company that did that uh, back in 2003, and from that point, uh, we started moving forward. When we got the Coors business in 2006, we put Coors, took them off of wooden pallets, put them on a recycled plastic shipping pallet. That's the first year we got traction, really made some money. And uh, since that time, we've added a lot of products and a, a lot of customers. And I'll be happy to share those things along the way in the next hour. Absolutely. So what, what would you say, how would you say the thesis has evolved really since then? And I, I say this to kind of catch us up to where we currently are today from those humble roots. It, it, there in the in this industry, everyone has the same type of issues. And so the evolution has been what can you tweak to make it a little bit better? We started with recycled plastic. When you use virgin resins, they're expensive. So we we grind, granulate. In the beginning, we just ground it and put it in. Now we we really clean it up. We blend it to specific blends that we use for different customers. For example, in the in the industry, Stimplot is a huge uh, a potato company. They use freezer facilities that go down below 20 below zero. 
Well, you have to have additives that you put in there. We've formulated the right recycled additives so we can use ours in the in that environment. And that's the kind of thing we've evolved as we've gotten new customers with Coors. Coors wanted came to us and said, hey, listen, we, we're now buying your your pallet, what about our kegs? And so we started We started working with Miller and Coors and we created a plastic keg pallet for them. So we've done that over the last 20 years with a, a wide variety of customers and it has it has benefited for us on the diversification front. So that's how we've had our evolution has kind of occurred. So Warren, my next question for you is the full suite of products that the company currently has and is marketing out there. So when it comes to diversifying the product set, I mean, you you have to be nimble depending on the on the customer. And is it really diversified based on size? Is that is that how you diversify your product set? Of the pallets, it, the size it of can the be size, but it, uh, there's a wide variety of of reasons people use pallets and how they use pallets. Some people put them in open racks and and up to twenty eight hundred pounds. Well, you've got to have some sort of structure in your pallet that so the pallets don't fall through. And so we use fiberglass rods for strength in our fi- in our plastic pallets. But others like the can industry, very lightweight aluminum cans. They just want large size, 44 by 56. So you design around that size. Most industries are specific already to what they utilize. And so what you want to do is you want to have something that emulates uh, all the good parts of what they want and eliminates all the bad parts of what they want. And really what happens is it's mainly you're kicking wood out the door because wood invariably it chips the nails pop up uh, it affects product it affects uh, efficiencies uh, they can have uh, all kinds of bugs and different things in in the woods so it, it matters so uh, and that's that's really uh, industry specific is how we attack issues very good so i'd love to better understand the company's value proposition because clearly you know all these Big manufacturer, you know, you talk about working with cores, you know, within all these different verticals, there's clearly a need for pallets, either whether it's wood, plastic, you know, sizing, outdoors, all that stuff. So when you're engaging a potential customer, what is the value proposition that you're trying to convey to them? They're going to spend the money regardless who who it is. And what we want to do is the investment they make, we want it to be the best investment they can make with the longest life. Got it. And and then from there, I mean, what's the business model around it? Because, I've, you know, it, I mean, do you just keep supplying them new pallets or is it like, are, is it kind of a renting of pallets? You know, you own that. We'd love to better understand that. I'm glad that you, that you mentioned that. Most of the time they're in, in the industry, fork, fork tides, fork trucks is how pallets get damaged. And in our world, the beautiful thing about a, a plastic pallet is once it's damaged, it's not thrown away like a wooden pallet. We we can buy that back for from the customer and we grind it again. We repelletize it and then we inject it into a new pallet. So it's a beautiful thing. So really the cost of their product, it, it, it is lowered over the long term just because they have a commodity that will be used again and again. And take, for example, we today I got a call from Yingling Beer. Yingling is, uh, as we all know, it's up in Pennsylvania, the oldest brewery in the United States. 
they have an issue with wooden pallets for their kegs. And they said, Warren, we know we work some with Miller and Molson uh, Coors now, and we know that you've helped them in the past. Can you help us? And so their keg pallet is different than the, the Miller Coors pallet, of course. And so they want us to help design something. So we'll work with them and we'll use our engineering department and we'll design something that works. And then we'll do some, we'll do finite element analysis on the products before we actually manufacture the tool because these tools are big they're 40,000 pounds and they're they can be as much as uh, from 200 to 400,000 dollars a piece so you want to try to get it right the first time so I I also want to better understand you know what differentiates you because first things first I mean do you have IP protection on the the recycled pallets that you produce or is this kind of like there's an industry standard and our hook is that we're doing it, you know, maybe less expensively, we better cost structure, that kind of thing. You called it. Everyone in the industry has their own way of making their product. And we have our own little twists. Uh, for example, a coefficient of friction is huge in this industry because when you put your goods on top of a pallet, you don't want them to slide off on the slick plastic pallet. So we have grommets on top and bottom that uh, touch the fork tines, that touch the product, and the goods don't slide around. Also, when the pallets are stacked and there are no goods on top, but when the pallets are stacked on top of one another, if it's only plastic with no coefficient of friction at all, they'll slide off one another very easily. So we, uh, when we stack ours, ours are different than a lot in the marketplace because they are coefficient of friction that we utilize in our grommet material. It really holds those pallets in place. I know it sounds mundane, but these are real world issues that happen in the, in the uh, shipping industry every single day. Warren, don't for one second say this is mundane. I'm utterly fascinated by the pallet industry right now in like the 15, 20 minutes we've already been on the phone. Um, so uh, like I'm one of like one of the few like pallet industry, you know, I, I, I it reminds me of a yeah, joke. It's not something you bring up a dinner conversation. You can put some people to sleep pretty quickly. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. I did an interview a while back where I was just like, yeah, you know, you know, it's not like you have your kids be like, oh, man, I can't wait to grow up to be in the pallet industry or something. Else. Um, <laughs> but it's, well, one it's- thing that I do like about our industry is the recycle. You know, so many people talk about they're going to be green and they're going to they're going to do something. We actually do something. We actually take bad material. We grind it up and we use it in an American made product. It's a beautiful thing. And then, as we said earlier, you we when those are broken, the customer gives it back to us. We or we buy it back from them, and then we grind it up and make another one. So it is a truly a beautiful green story. So then you know, and just playing a little devil's advocate, you know, in terms of demand from you know maybe some of your target customers. Listen, ESG is you know I mean look in these environments maybe not as much center stage, but it's definitely within some of the Fortune 500. It still is despite the markets and what they're doing right now. But you would think like all right, you know, on the pallet side of things, like maybe there's something that we can do on the environmental side. You know, why aren't you know I mean look according to the company's website, you're at a thirty million dollar pace in annual revenue uh, since emerging into the uh, dormant public shell. You know, this is a nine and a half billion dollar pallet industry market that you said also on the public on the on the website. Where what what's what where is the more conversion? I mean, you're ba- it's barely barely a percentage of entrance in here. So help help me cat help me here. 
Well, we're we probably this year. Our year end is May thirty one. Uh, I encourage anyone to go to our public filings. Uh, we do a good job of getting information out there on that side. And we will probably be between 65 and 70 million in revenue this year. And uh, we anticipate a, a good close to this quarter uh, ending May 31. Um, we, we just think there's so much opportunity out there. Uh, it's, and I will state some of those opportunities. So Walmart. Walmart's a wonderful customer for us. They continue to, to uh, buy product from us for their uh, warehouses. Uh, IGPS is the largest plastic pallet leasing company in the United States. And IGPS, we provide a, a product for them. So if you go into a Costco and you see a plastic pallet, chances are we made that plastic pallet. Uh, they're the only ones that are actually leasing now to people like Procter and Gamble and so forth. And so they, uh, the Procter and Gamble or Nestle, will say, "Okay, I need a truckload of pallets," and the IGPS will ship them in. And then they'll the next day they'll say, oh, "Another truckload," and that's how it works. And they just pay a fee for that pallet usage. And we just continue to grow with IGPS. Uh, and I will say, how, how, what can, how far can it grow? Well, CHEP, which is a wooden pallet company, probably has over 100 million wooden pallets in the United States that they rent out there. Well, 100 million pallets is a, in the plastic pallet world, we can, pr we can produce a lot of pallets over the next uh, 20 years, and we still probably won't get to that 100 million mark. So we, our opportunity is just unlimited. Absolutely. I mean, how do you, you know, clearly there's many verticals that the company can go into. How do you kind of prioritize which ones are the high opportunity? You know, all right, we're already in this one. Let's compound harder versus, all right, here's some other verticals that, you know, I think we can really be competitive in. How, how do you think about that? Well, we've been fortunate over the years. We did buy some tooling out of Canada quite some, a number of years ago. There was aluminum tooling. We use high-pressure injection, and so the aluminum tools don't work very well on our equipment, but it gave us uh, a, a multiple different products that we did not have. For example, the intermediate bulk container pallet uh, that has a, a a place for a spout. So they put these 250 gallon bottles in a cage on top of the pallet. Well, the valve has to go down below the top level of the, the pallet surface so that they can drain the oil or peanut oil or uh, whatever's in whatever chemical is in that uh, particular 250 gallon unit. And we then we made a steel tool when we actually said, hey, gosh, we, we have a new product line here. And that has been a steady eddy uh, product for us over the years. And that's what we've done. We've taken some of these old aluminum tools and customers have called. We'll make, uh, the, we'll make their product on aluminum for a while and then we'll order a new steel tool. And then once the hook's in, we love that. I'd love to have, you know, those million dollar product lines are wonderful because they, they just happen every single year. Those orders come in every single year, year after year. And it's almost an annuity. So we like it when we diversify into to product lines. We like it if someone says, hey, we've got 30 or 40,000 that we're using and we're replacing five to 10,000 a year because that's just those will go on and on forever. That's how we really look at things in uh, out in the market. You know, here's, here's a question. You know, I'm doing doing some due diligence on the company, you know, seeing a couple threads out there on on Greystone and, you know, it, 
would you say the business is it's cyclical at all? Like, is there years where it can be lumpy or effects from, from lumber business? Just, I'm just curious from a sales perspective, you know, how just, just better understanding all the numbers and the business itself. There are some seasonalities like in the beer industry. I mean, the beer industry really gets busy kind of before baseball season. So it's that February, March, it's starting to really crank up and they need to put a lot of beer on pallets out there because it'll fly out the door because summer's coming. And so that there's some seasonality there. Um, but most of the time it's, it's pretty, it's pretty steady, but the, you'll find things like in the cherry industry, they may need, uh, for when the season starts in the cherry industry, they may need a, a bunch of pallets for that particular moment in time. And that, that happens periodically. We, we like those, uh, we like the, uh, we, one of the reasons we got into a nestable pallet, which is a kind of a lightweight export pallet is that it, they, every month. You know, you're producing them every single month. Customers order them. They go out the door generally for export. We like that because, of course, that gives us another opportunity the next month to replace it. Sometimes we have a product that we we put ourselves out of business. In other words, we we go out to uh, Trincara Family Estates, Sutter Home Wines, second largest family owned winery in America. They have a beautiful, beautiful automated facility out in Lodi, California. It's fantastic. But it is an automated facility. Our palace, a wonderful product and meant to last a long time. And because it's in that environment, in a robotic environment and doesn't get manhandled, those pallets will last forever. So the 70,000 units we put out there, that, that swimming pool is full. And we won't be able to fill that swimming pool again. So uh, it, that's how it works in the industry. Sometimes you'll have uh, that, that click up for production and you fill a warehouse and then you won't have it the next month. So I don't know if that helps in the, the cyclical nature of our business uh, describing it. Absolutely. And and another question that I have for you, because clearly, you know, once, you know, once the pandemic hit and also with all the supply chain and logistical issues that are currently that are folks are still dealing with, you know, how has the company been able to, I guess, navigate through these difficult waters, especially, you know, logistics is in the company's name, right? You know, so, <laughs> like, I, I, love to hear more on that front. Well, it, I, it has been the last three years. Everyone has their own story about COVID and COVID. There was a tough period for our company as well. I mean, we, we had some customers who stopped ordering during that period of time. So business fell off a little bit. Then in uh, the next year, 21, there was a freeze, believe it or not, a freeze in, in Houston, Texas, which shut down the polyethylene industry, which affected pricing in the commodities market. And in my, in my 20 years, I've never seen anything like this. And that prices for recycled plastic spiked 20 to 30 cents a pound. Well, on a 50-pound product, it's real money. And your customers, they are saying, no, there was pushback. They did not want to pay that extra money, but we had to go up. So we are, it affected our growth a little bit because people were pulling back and saying, gosh, I, I don't want to spend an extra $15 for a, a plastic pallet that I, I wasn't anticipating. So we had a little bit of that. And then, of course, in 21, like many other companies, it, we had a tough time getting employees uh, 
in our facility because everybody was getting a check to stay at home. So we went through that aspect of it. So uh, it has been a challenging uh, period. But on the on the the good news is we've been pretty steady throughout it and uh, we've managed to uh, to solve the employee issue. And so we've got that under control and our pricing on the commodities have fallen off last year they fell off in about august and now it's back in line where it should be so our volume we can see it now it's just i can't tell you how much the the uh, demand the phone is literally it's it's ringing so it's a beautiful thing absolutely so here's a question that i really love to ask management teams and i know a lot of investors actually i i I, I took this from a, a buddy of mine who I just did an interview with on on this show, Josh Womack. And I asked him, I said, you know, what's your favorite question that you love to ask management teams? So, you know what, I'm going to indulge me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you here. Okay. So, so, Warren, what what would you say, you know, you've been in the business now, you know, 10 plus years, 20 years, right? Right. What, what, what's a, what was the biggest challenge that you've had to deal with while at Greystone? And how did you overcome that challenge? Well, in the early years, it was money. It was just uh, we just we just I, I was pouring money in, and it wasn't coming out the other side. And then, as I mentioned, in two thousand six, Coors was just has been such a beautiful was a beautiful client for us that they believed in our product. And this industry is funny. You meet people, and uh, for an example, uh, I met a man named Jeffrey Liebesman back in two thousand and uh, hmm, gosh probably seven and 10 years later he's a south african guy really good businessman and years later he's we're calling uh he's calling me and said hey warren can you produce a pallet for us and it's 10 years later same thing with walmart walmart we called on them uh 17 years ago and 15 years after that they they said hey listen we've got this request for proposal can you guys uh, uh would you guys bid so it's it's this is a a marathon these aren't sprints this is a company built for the long term not for the short term i was gonna say i mean look what what how much how much do you own the company now or uh, I, I own about 30 percent about 30 percent you've been doing this i mean this, this is not just a marathon you're running like an iron man <laughs> right <laughs> let's be real like i mean this has been this has been a long road i mean obviously there's still there, it looks like there's a lot of, of 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 you know runway here still but i mean it's still it's been a long road man like i mean how how are you how are you feeling about you know how things have evolved and getting to where you are today and you know like i said just hiring ir from kind of starting to do a couple things like talking to geniuses like right. me you know so how, how are you how are you thinking about all that well, I think that uh, most certainly we're preparing for the future. Uh, I have been doing this a long time. I, I enjoy what I do. Uh, I mean, this this week I was in seven states this week. I know that sounds crazy, but it truly I was. And uh, we've just purchased some equipment in uh, Indiana. And so we have another product line we'll be putting out. It's extruded, pa- extruded plastic pallets. So we'll be able to uh, make Odd sizes, 96 inches by 48 inches. We have a customer that wants a big pallet. We'll now be able to do that. And so we've, we'll close on that next week. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. It's another way, you know, we just want to continue to build equity for our shareholders. We want to do the right things for, for our employees, our shareholders, and our customers. And, and when we do that, it, it will benefit everyone. 
And I, I think that we are preparing for the future. We've got a, uh, if I get hit by a Mack truck, I'm not concerned that we, our company won't move on because we've got some great people in our organization. And, uh, but I'm, I'm driven. I want to get to that hundred million and then beyond. And so the only way to do that is to, to continue to fill equipment. And we've got two brand new, uh, 3,300 ton machines that'll be up and operational at the end of, of, uh, April. And that's another, uh, 20 plus million dollars worth of revenue opportunity that we just need to fill and we will. So Warren, uh, you know, another question that I like to ask everybody on here, you know, you, you, like I said, we talked kind of ad nauseum how you've been doing this, you know, for a long time now you've done the dog and pony show, the, you know, investor conferences, one-on-ones with investors, the whole, the whole bit, you know, and so even after they had a chance, uh, you know, investors have had a chance to meet with you, learn a little bit more about the pallet industry, which is way more interesting than any, than, than people should be giving it a little more credit. Uh, but what, what do investors still get confused about when they think about Greystone Logistics? And maybe some frequently asked questions that you get that maybe we can address here. Well, Greystone Logistics, they'll say, well, do you run trucks? And no, we don't run trucks. And so that's a misnomer. Our, our really, we are subsidiary Greystone Manufacturing. We've actually talked about uh, getting the manufacturing name in our uh, in our corporate name because logistics, we, in the beginning, we were moving the world and we still move the world. We have rented in the past. We have leased. We sell to the biggest uh, leasing, plastic leasing company in the country. So the logistics is really uh, what we do. And but sometimes the, our stockholders or just people on the street will say, well, what exactly do you do? And so I think that getting uh, what we do out there and we make 100 percent recycled plastic shipping pallets and just continue to pound that message. And so that's what we get a lot of is there's kind of some confusion in exactly what Greystone does. That's interesting. I mean, is, is it more of a, con- I guess it sounds like it's just the main confusion is manufacturing versus reselling versus like, all right, we're in the pallet industry, right? Like, is that, right. that, that's the main confusion. It sounds like. Exactly. Okay. And we're here to definitively say that we're in the manufacturing of pal- pallets industry. 100%. Okay. We're probably using 50 <laughs> to 60 million pounds of recycled plastic a year. So, uh, and we grind granulate, uh, if we've got a whole a entire recycling center and it is a wonderful thing to see it, the trucks come in, they drop off. It's just shocking how many uh, pallets are in the marketplace. Now, uh, 20 years ago, there, the plastic pallets were just not out there in abundance. Now there are quite a few. So we just get truckloads uh, of pallets back in and our customer IGPS and, and Miller, when their pallets are broken, they send them in, we grind them up and make another one. Absolutely. Uh, one one quick question on relationship with IGPS. I think I saw something like 2021. There was like a, a lawsuit or something together. Do you want to address that real quick just to I, clear it up or love whatever? To. Yeah. Okay. Let's love, hear. I, I'd love to. Okay. There was a change in leadership there. I'd mentioned earlier in our conversation, Jeffrey Liebesman. Uh, Jeffrey uh, uh, was he and Robert Liebesman. Uh, I'm not sure what went on within the organization, but there there was a management change at, at the end of 2019. And in 2020, uh, when you have a relationship with the, the previous management and they understood there were certain understandings of what we were doing. I had my fiberglass rod manufacturer 
build on to his uh, facility to accommodate uh, Greystone for IGPS. And uh, there was some confusion between the new management team and myself. They were telling us how who we needed to buy from and how we needed to buy it. And we needed to go somewhere else. And there was just, uh, I think there was some mistrust with the new people and, uh, and they, uh, uh, they sued us. And uh, it was one of those, you talk about a waste of time and energy and, and money. And we continued to manufacture for them the entire time. And finally, uh, the a gentleman who is, uh, I won't mention his name, but he's a great guy. He said, what are we doing here? I said, I don't know. What, what are you guys doing? He goes, we just need pallets. I said, we just make pallets. So let's do it. So we shook hands, made up and, and went on down the road. So we have a great relationship actually with them now. And, uh, it was just more confusion. And I, I think that many times when management changes, I think that happens. Absolutely. Well, thank you for addressing that here today. So another kind of uh, devil's advocate type question I like to ask everybody on here, you know, in, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks from achieving the, you know, minimum 100 million revs that you that you kind of said a little bit earlier? Uh, the downside risk is, again, another spike in material. When the, I was surprised with the spike in recycled material costs. It was it was a little bit dumbfounding because uh, it was uh, everyone, the pipe industry, you have to remember, everyone was kind of trying to, we couldn't, they couldn't get virgin material. So they turned to the recycled market and that drove, drove up the cost. Demand went up and the cost went up. And I, I, I was a little bit surprised. I'm now, we're continuing to build our sources of material and we're trying to make those relationships such that, we won't get in another uh, another price spike that may hurt us. We're also in our contracts. We're addressing that now more so than we ever have. Is if there is a price spike, then we can adjust it, and the customer will agree to that. So we're trying to take precautionary measures to ensure that uh, that, uh, that 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 does not occur. So that's the probably the biggest concern I have. Uh, the other thing, one of the things that prevents us from selling a lot more product is uh, FM uh, has a, uh, they have a standard, a fire retardant standard for plastic pallets. It's funny that wood burns at a lower temperature and it, it is it, than plastic. But for whatever reason, I think the wood pallet industry has done a great job of lobbying to prevent plastic pallets from becoming more mainstream because they'll say, well, you have to have a fire retardant plastic pallet. Well, this drives up the cost dramatically. And it, then if, when the costs go up uh, too high, then of course we're priced out of the marketplace. So that's been a, a barrier for us as well. And we're working on some solutions uh, for that. We actually had a fire retardant uh, patent years ago on a, a, a additive, but it had a, a product called decabromine in it. And then the government uh, uh, said no more decabromine can be used. So, you know, it's, it, it is an issue. It's something that prevents us probably from selling a lot more pallets is not having having uh, our FM or UL rating, fire rating for our pallets. Very good. All right. So then uh, from what you can tell me, and in, again, in your opinion, you know, where do you want to see this company in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that'll get you there? Well, I want to continue. We, we've restructured. We've, we've been paying down debt like mad. We've had some good years. We've paid down debt. 
We put on a lot of uh, uh, debt this year, about $7 million, but that all went into new equipment. So we're, we're preparing for the future. And so where I would like to see us is fill those machines, uh, satisfy our customer, uh, create, create excess funds that can be, then be delivered back to our shareholders. Simply put, I like it. So my final question for you, and I, I, you kind of already answered this a little bit earlier, like, again, going back to, you know, being in this industry now for a while and being public company CEO for a while, you know, how are you, how's this experience for you? You know, are you still, are you still loving that side of doing this as being a public company CEO beyond just, you know, your normal day to day of being CEO of Greystone Logistics? Well, we're, we're relatively small. In the public world, we're a relatively small company. And I've been asked so many times, why are you public? And that's a, it's a good question. And I, I, I inherited a situation when I invested that was a public shell. And uh, over time, people invested money. And the, with the public, uh, a public company, it's a com- that's something that they if they want to exit, they can exit. And so it provides really an exit strategy for shareholders that we have. And that's and it, it really is. That's really why we've continued to be public. But to get on the radar screen, we need to be larger and we need to consider moving up uh, off the bulletin board and getting up uh, and get on another exchange. And then we've talked about that. And so these are all things that we consider. And uh, and being a uh head of a public company. This is a small public company. So I have probably don't have the rigors that some people in larger public organizations have because I'm, I'm involved in the, the uh, overall strategy for long-term growth, but I'm also involved in the sales side, work with customers and, and so forth. And, and then I work with our management team to make sure that our manufacturing operation is humming uh, as it should be. So, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have, great people all around me that uh, that help uh make it happen all right Warren. i think i think we're there man you answered all my questions i really appreciate you doing so you know for for those listening where can folks uh find more information on graystone logistics well glgi that's our symbol and they can go on any public platform you can read about go in you can look at the public filings um and uh you might investigate the the pallet world. It's it's so bizarre to say investigate the pallet world, but it's it's just so massive that uh, and the opportunities are so grand that uh, you know we feel we feel fortunate in this industry. We we feel really really fortunate. We feel like we can uh, continue to grow and uh, we can uh, pay down our debt. Uh, we can grow the top line and we can grow the bottom line. So that's what we want to do. And that's where we're headed. Very good. Well, Warren, thank you so much for joining me here today. Again, the website is graystonelogistics.com. I really do appreciate you taking the time here today. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.